Welcome to the Canadian Pediatric Society's Resident Section Executive Meet the Residents podcast. With visiting electives cancelled again this year, we recognize how hard it can be to get to know the programs and the people that make them up. We're here to bring you one step closer to the residents so that you can hear firsthand what it's like to practice at the various institutions. Please note that the opinions in this interview represent only those of the pediatric residents and do not necessarily represent the institutions where they practice. Today we're joined by Henry, a PGY3 resident from Dalhousie University. Let's hear more from him about the Dalhousie program and what it has to offer. Thank you so much, Henry, for joining us today and telling us a little bit about your experience at the Dalhousie Pediatrics Program and giving us a bit of insight about um, things about the program and how things are done at the institution. So thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me. Excited. Yeah, absolutely. So before we sort of jump into specifics about the program and how things are done, maybe we'll just get to know you a little bit better in terms of, you know, your background as to where you're from, where you did your undergrad, if you did something in between that and med school and kind of where you are in your residency today. Absolutely. Well, thanks again, Nardine. My name is Henry Annan. I'm one of the third year pediatrics residents at Dalhousie Pediatrics at the IWK Health Centre in Halifax. I did my undergrad in biology and chemistry at St. Mary's University right here in Halifax. And then I moved up the street to do my medical school at Dalhousie um, and then decided to stay to do my pediatrics residency. I also recently completed a Master's of Public Policy at the University of Oxford. And yeah, I'm enjoying residency so far and looking forward to completing residency and becoming a staff pediatrician soon. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Um, and then I guess in speaking about residency and pediatrics, was that something that you always sort of knew you were interested in? Or is it something that you discovered in med school? You know, maybe you were debating between a couple of specialties and somehow peds came together nicely for you. Yeah, so did I always know that I was going to do pediatrics residency? 100% no. Um, so it's uh, a story that I often tell to medical students that are in this position and trying to figure out what they want to do for residency. Um, pediatrics is not on the radar at all. Um, I went into clerkship thinking that I was going to be an internist and found out very quickly that I was liking everything <laughs> in clerkship. Um, including pediatrics. In fact, one of my co-residents, who was my classmate at the time, I remember in the early part of medical school actually telling her that I don't think I'd ever do pediatrics because I thought it'd be too much of a sad, sad specialty to do. And um, I did pediatrics and found quite the opposite, that it was very, very happy and probably the happiest of all the, of all the specialties. Um, and so I went through clerkship and was very confused and started fourth year. And unfortunately, or fortunately, we do have in our undergraduate medical education system, you kind of have to start, uh, you know, picking electives as a certain time and applying for things at a certain time and making some decisions. And so um, I ended up doing electives in just about everything from internal medicine to obstetrics to pediatrics to family medicine and um, interviewed actually across quite a variety of different specialties. And I ultimately uh, decided to do pediatrics right at Dalhousie. And so when people ask me, when did I decide that I wanted to do pediatrics? I always say it actually probably wasn't until my second month of residency <laughs> when, when I sort of was like, okay, this is awesome. This is great. I'm really happy to be here. And um, 
you know, it's just been such an amazing, wonderful ride so far. And it's so, for, I feel so privileged and fortunate to be able to say that I wake up every morning actually excited uh, to go to work. So that's been good. Okay, perfect. So definitely a good story for people who are maybe joining the pediatrics train a little bit later on, but it's definitely never too late to sort of find what you're interested in. Perfect. All right. So now that we sort of have a better sense of kind of your background and what brought you to your pediatric residency, we'll start off talking about things on a big level at an institution level and get to sort of know the program uh, that way first. So you actually did your medical school and residency both at Dalhousie, but obviously being a medical student there versus being a resident is a big change uh, and a lot of you know, change in responsibility comes with that. So what has your experience been like in kind of making that transition? And would you say there's any sort of challenges or surprises that come about? Yeah, absolutely. I think it can be challenging, certainly. Um, one of the things that I found very difficult to grapple with going uh, from, you know, June 30th to July 1st was that all of a sudden my signature meant something. <laughs> So, you know, the first couple of days you write orders and you, you sign it and you really have to make sure that those are the right orders because no one is co-signing them for you. One of the great things about our program is just the amount of support that we have in order to make that transition. Um, we have a buddy call system so that the first 10 call shifts that you do on the wards, you are buddied with a senior and they are just there to support you on the first couple of shifts. You know, you can ask them any questions that you want. Um, they help guide you, they see patients with you. And then as you move along and start getting more confident, you can actually become more independent. And then honestly, by the seventh or the eighth um, buddy call shift, you feel very, very comfortable. Um, and then once you're done, you feel that, yes, I'm able to manage the wards and the hospital and all the patients um, at night when you're on call. But even then, you still have in your entire first year a senior resident on the PICU that's on call who's really there to also support you, that you can call for help, that you discuss all your admissions with. Um, and I think thirdly, but most importantly, our staff are just so wonderful and are always happy to, to support you and come in and you can call them. I remember in my first <laughs> few months, I would just call them for just anything. Um, and they never made me feel badly about that. They never were like, why are you calling me about this simple question? Um, and, and that's really important, that level of support and really is one of the key features of our program. Also, we have with our new CBD um, curriculum, the first three months is the transition to discipline. And so the types of rotations that we do are really geared towards um, making that transition and getting you comfortable with pediatrics in general, but also uh, the pediatric practice at our hospital. So um, I would say, yes, the transition from medical student to resident can be tough, but our program does a phenomenal job of supporting that transition. And I think the transition, even when we talk about it from medical student to resident, I think, you know, medicine is lifelong learning. And so you're just being supported throughout even going from first year to second year to third year, and then ultimately the transition to practice um, is very well done, very well supported throughout our program. Okay, perfect. And would you say sort of those transitions, like you said, they continue as you sort of go through your residency? Is it done in a similar fashion where you sort of have buddy shifts and things like that as you go through, as you sort of change your role from maybe being a junior resident to a senior resident and so on? Exactly. And so um, the next sort of big step is the transition to senior. And so we do our picky rotations in, in second year and 
um, we also have buddy call shifts there too. So when you're covering the pediatric intensive care unit in your first five uh, call shifts, you are buddied with a with a senior who again is there to support you, you ask questions, and then you get more independent. And a lot of our intensivists will are happy to come in if they're really sick patients, they stay in-house. Um, and so you do have that level of support and you never feel alone. And um, I think that's a great for patient safety, but also just great for learning in general. Okay, great. So kind of really nice supports as you go through your residency and gain sort of more responsibilities. And obviously you're seeing things that are more acute, um, but you have that support there all the time. Perfect. And then in terms of kind of who you're interacting with, which is a piece, I guess, that learners who aren't at Dalhousie might be missing out on seeing. What does that look like in terms of, you know, coming in as an R1? Who are you interacting with? Is it other junior residents? Is it seniors, fellows, staff? How much face time are you getting sort of with the different people that are part of the team? All the above. All the above. I think one of the great things about our program size is that um, you really very quickly get to know not only your co-residents, but also the staff and a lot of allied healthcare professionals as well. Um, you know, I walk into the uh, the hospital in the morning and I'm always saying hello to different staff, different, uh, you know, nurses, the pharmacist, um, uh, our, our wonderful housekeeper who gives me a hug every morning. Um, it's it's just absolutely wonderful uh, place to work in, sense, in terms of, um, you know, the collegiality and just the the atmosphere that we have at the IWK. Um, I think in terms of sort of formal gatherings, um, as public health guidelines would allow, we do have things like our resident retreats. We have uh, welcome barbecues for the new PGY1s and fellows who get to meet um, the other residents and also the other staff. Um, we have journal club meetings at staff's um, houses every now and then so we get to meet them and their families and so there is a lot of interaction and a lot of face-to-face -face time and really very quickly you know you start having your your staff um, your staff's phone numbers on your phone and um, sometimes there's social media as well and and it's just a really really great big wonderful family Okay, wonderful. So a nice sort of tight knit community for any R1s to come join. Okay, so now that we sort of have a better sense of how things are done kind of on a large scale institution level, we'll zone in a little bit about the program itself and highlight some aspects and sort of frequently asked questions that applicants often have. And we'll start off sort of with one of the favorite questions that people tend to have, which is hearing from the residents about what their favorite aspects of the program are. Yes, so um, if you ask anyone at the IWK who favorite aspect of our program is, they will tell you it's the people. Um, I know this because we've asked multiple people <laughs> through our uh, different videos and things that we've been trying to do to promote the program, and it's just so unanimous and consistent, it's actually hilarious. But I can't speak more about how wonderful it is to, again, wake up in the morning, and go to work and look forward to going to work because you are excited to work with such dedicated, compassionate, intelligent, um, wonderful people, right? I think, you know, absolutely pediatrics is a wonderful specialty and I love my interactions with children and their families, um, but to do it in an atmosphere with colleagues that also love that and also support you, I think is, is really key to a a happy and a happy career and one that you know you can find purpose in. I think that the other thing for me that I love about our program and 
honestly was one of the main reasons why I chose to stay at Dalhousie for my pediatrics residency was just our commitment to wellness and just our understanding that, you know, the sick doctor can't doctor the sick. And this is a commitment not just by us as residents, um, but and not just from the program directors, but all the way up from the department chair um, in terms of the different initiatives that they have um, implemented in terms of what they just simply won't do because they know that it's going to negatively impact resident wellness has been um, just demonstrated over and over again through the three years that uh, I've been with the program. And I think that is absolutely critical again in having um, a strong residency program and finding meaning in your work. So I think that's important. And lastly, I think that our program supports residents to explore, um, explore ways that they can be more holistic in their um, profession. So I'm someone that is very interested in sort of health advocacy and physician leadership. And it was very clear to me during my interviews that not only was this a program where that would be supported, but actually would be encouraged. And so um, when I've wanted to join, you know, the boards of different organizations or go away for a year to do a master's or um, explore other extracurriculars, there's never been a barrier. There's never been a question of support from the program. And it has always been, yes, this is you. This is what's going to make your career meaningful. And so go ahead and how how can we support you in doing that? And that has been um absolutely wonderful. Yeah, those are wonderful things I think for applicants to hear about in the program and definitely reassuring to know that it's a program that sort of cares about the residents interest mm -hmm. and um, what they're looking for. And of course, kind of in highlighting, you know, the, the wonderful things that programs implement in place, there's always the other side of things to consider in that, you know, times are always changing. And it's also nice to have a program that's flexible and sort of willing to recognize, you know, where there might be some deficits, where there might be some things that residents are bringing up and to sort of act on them as well. Um, are there any things that you feel the program's currently working on or trying to improve? Yes, and I think you've really um, hit the nail right on the head. And and one of the things that I've been so proud of our program is that despite all the wonderful things that I said about it and how um, it's super supportive and how we prioritize wellness, uh, from day one, we're always looking for ways that we can continue to improve. Um, and so on the wellness perspective, you know, we have a wellness survey that's administered every year that really keeps track of how residents are doing. And we don't rest until everyone is in green all the time. And, and that might seem like a, an impossible goal, but I think that it is something that we're determined to just make sure that our residents are well supported and are well. Um, because that is a, a big a big part of our program. And so I talked a little bit earlier about um, the, the pick you buddy call system and how you um, are buddied with the senior in your first five called pick you shifts. So that was a new addition um, just a few years ago. And that was, again, through conversations with the residents and saying, how can we better support you on call? And this is something that residents identified as a potential area that could improve things and that was implemented by the program. Um, in addition, I think that our program is looking at how wellness impacts people differently depending on your circumstance, your background, um, your, your gender, your um, race. And so um, we started instituting um, training on racial microaggressions and how residents can not only identify what microaggressions are, but how they can respond to them, how they can be allies, 
and also implementing um, structures and policies in place to address um, these these negative experiences. How could we increase our um, equity, diverse inclusion in terms of our resident selection practices? Um, these are ongoing conversations, and you know, thank goodness we have a program that is constantly looking around and saying, okay, what are the things we can do to improve upon, and how can we make our residents and our and they're learning better. Wonderful. Yeah, definitely great to hear sort of that they're willing to implement these changes and sort of uh, take steps forward when things arise. And we'll sort of shift gears a little bit here and now talk about very popular questions that med students always have when they're looking at programs sort of across <laughs> the board. And one of the big hot topic questions is always about the call schedule and what that looks like sort of coming in as an R1. Does it change as you progress through the years? And we'll sort of tag along another question to that, which is we all know that sort of call is difficult and definitely different as a resident than it is as a med student. So what are some ways that you found, you know, you manage your work schedule and sort of having call? Yes, call. I will preface this answer by saying, you know, I don't love call. <laughs> I don't think a lot of people love call, but I think call schedules and call is the thing that's sort of... Um, expected a lot across multiple specialties, multiple programs across the country. Um, one of the things that we're very fortunate to have in addition to the support that we have in our buddy calls, um, call shifts is um, a graduated call system. And so in your first two years of residency, um, it's a one in four call. And then in third year, it's one in five. And then in fourth year, it's one in seven. And that is respected. You cover not only the wards when you're on um, when you're on call for the wards you cover um, not only the wards but also the different um, subspecialties as well so nephrology cardiology and hematology oncology and so one of the things that is good about that is that you actually continue to see different um, different things, right? So you're seeing cardiology patients and managing them, hematology, so not just when you're on your cardiology or hematology oncology rotation, you're actually seeing these patients and managing them while you're on call. It does mean that it can sometimes get busy, but again, thankfully, we do have lots of support. So you can always call your senior and you can always call staff to come in and they're happy to come in. I've definitely uh, called staff <laughs> to come in if things are getting too busy and they've done that in a heartbeat. Um, but I think what is also great about it is that it really teaches you how to manage when you're on call, a busy call, and being comfortable, being able to prioritize, and also being able to recognize your limits, which I think is really important in medicine. And so being able to say, okay, things are getting busy, I need to call and help, and this is the point that I do that. Um, and, and I think that's really important. In terms of how I manage on call, so I, I think um, different people are different. Um, personally, I'm someone that really likes sleep and I don't do well when I, I don't sleep. So I always say that when I'm on call, I'm either doing something clinical or I'm asleep. And it doesn't matter what time of the day, like some people will, um, <laughs> some people will just kind of stay awake and study and you know work on dictations or whatever, and then they'll try to go to bed at 11. If at 6 p.m. there's nothing happening, I'm in my call room and I'm trying to sleep <laughs> because I don't know what's going to happen at 11, a 11 p.m. or at 2 a.m. That's going to keep me up all night. Um, and so that's, how, that's my, my approach personally, and that works for me because I'm just very sleep sensitive. 
And then um, I try to don't schedule anything on my post-call days. So sometimes it can be tricky because, you know, you have dentist appointments that you have to get to or things. And I think a lot of residents fall on the trap of trying to schedule things on their post-call days. But I just take my post-call days as a day to recover from a busy call. And, you know, if the call isn't too busy, I do get some sleep, then, hey, I get a I get a free day off and I can do whatever I want that day. So <laughs> that's my approach. <laughs> Okay, perfect. So sleep and a nice post-call day. Okay, I think um, applicants can try those for sure. And you've already sort of touched on this a few times um, in terms of the program's commitment to wellness and that it's something that's been prioritized and something they're constantly sort of working on to improve. What are some of the wellness activities that are undertaken by the program? Yes, so um, we do have a wellness uh, committee who's always um, looking for different activities to do um, we had a gathering not too long ago to celebrate our um, PGY3s who matched in their subspecialties and their fellowships recently. Um, we organized different hikes. Um, certainly the resident retreat is one uh, weekend that we all look forward to and are as excited about. Um, and then we always have an academic half day once a year that our program directors host where it's just a fun day of funness basically because <laughs> wellness and fun can also be good learning. <laughs> um, so those are the big things and then we're always again trying different activities um, throughout the year that the wellness committee and, um, decides upon and deliberates and any sort of changes um, from time to time. The other thing, which was also a recent addition a couple of years ago, was the establishment of a resident peer support person who is an individual who is separate from the program, separate from the chiefs, who, again, are great at providing support and, and just, you know, supporting residents. But this is an individual who residents can approach and um, just kind of talk about things. And if they're having different difficulties or different struggles, um, that person is just there to support them and figure out different ways that they can advocate for that resident. And that I think has been um, an innovative way of, again, supporting wellness amongst our residents' body. Yeah, absolutely. And in sort of talking about, obviously, with residency, there's a lot of changes that come about. And we talked about the transitions and how they're well supported throughout. As an incoming sort of resident and as you go through, I'm sure a lot of questions develop as you learn more. Um, how do you go about getting those answered? Is there any formal or informal mentorship that's in place or kind of a little bit of both? How is it done in the program? So we do have a formal mentorship program. So every resident in the, in the program has a mentor who um, meets with them pretty regularly and offers advice on career, um, you know, different learning strategies, office again support um, during the residency and so that is really key but thankfully we also have um, other forms of more informal mentorship with the staff specifically so um, our program directors are wonderful and i would say that are also mentors to each and every one of us and by virtue of the fact that we have such great interactions with other staff members we develop other informal mentors with other staff so um, our uh, department chair Dr. Link always says that it's nice to have a mentor but it's even better to have sort of a board of directors of mentors and I think at the end of residency each resident kind of has multiple people that forms that that board of, of mentors that they can go to for different things and and again contributes to that tight-knit 
um, community that we were so proud of at the IWK. I think additionally, we let's not forget the importance of peer mentorship as well. And so all the PGY1s are assigned a, a mentor and uh, a resident mentor. And um, that is also really key. And, and again, that individual becomes part of that board of mentors. Um, and then that peer to peer mentorship as goes goes a long way too. And we identify ways of supporting each other and, you know, encouraging each other and mentoring each other in, in, in different ways too. Okay, great. So sort of an endless supply of people that you can sort of reach out to with your questions and get those answered at different stages of your training. So that's great. Okay, so thank you so much, Henry, for kind of that nice overview of the program and highlighting the different aspects of it. I think you've brought up a lot of things that are unique to the program already. Is there anything that you think we haven't touched on or discussed that maybe you want to bring attention to that you think makes the program more different or unique, maybe compared to others across Canada? Yes, I guess one thing I would say is that, um, you know, at the IWK, obviously, we're not as large as some of the other centers, but one of the things that makes us unique is that we are the only uh, tertiary pediatric hospital in the Maritimes and certainly the largest one in Atlanta, Canada. And so although we may not get the um, volume of patients that other centers might have, we certainly get a lot of diversity because we see patients from all over the Maritimes. And so we get this um, great experience where we see the bread and butter cases, but we also see some of the more rare forms of pediatric disease because they often will come to the IWK first. And we do have all subspecialties um, at the IWK, and so they treat and manage them. And then if they have to go elsewhere, um, we still follow them here because they come here first and then get um, sent away. And then we do all their follow-ups here at the IWK too. And so um, it's great because we don't have that many fellows and um, too many learners. So you really get in on the hands-on aspect very early on. You're managing some of these complex, complex cases. I mean, uh, for a center our size, we're one of the pediatric cardiac centers, one of very few pediatric cardiac centers in, in Canada. And so we're managing, you know, post-op Fontans or complex heart, congenital heart disease right in the PICU. Um, and there's no fellows and it's just us. And so um, obviously we have the support there, but it's really, really good training and being able to um, see some of those rare cases of, of disease. Okay, wonderful. All right, so thanks again for sort of those highlighting those aspects of the program. Now that we have a better sense of how things are done on an institution level, maybe some specifics about the program, we'll zoom in even further and kind of look at the day-to-day -day at your institution and the IWK. And this is a piece that applicants are really missing out on this year if they're sort of from out of the Dalhousie University and so aren't experiencing for themselves how things are done. So we'll kind of use your experience is here to give us an idea of what people can expect if they're joining sort of the team next year. Um, and we'll start off with a very basic question in terms of kind of how you chart at your institution. And is it done through paper charts? Is it done through an EMR? Um, and if I want to sort of access patient information from out of the IWK, what are the logistics around that? Yes, we are paper. <laughs> we are paper, paper charts, um, which I do know, though, that the province is actively looking into um, developing an EMR. That's one of the things that is a priority for the current government. And so 
I, I don't have a timeline on that, but it's quite possible that sometime in the near future um, there will be a universal EMR for um, Nova Scotia. In terms of accessing information from outside the IWK, so within Nova Scotia there is a portal that is universally accessible where all lab work is uploaded into. So if you want to see um, some test results from patients that are um, you know, that are being transferred from other parts of the province, uh, you can actually just like log into that portal and, and view it that way. Um, and then also within the IWK, there's a portal where you can see lab work and um, previous charts and records, etc. Um, so that's accessible that way as well. But um, in terms of an actual EMR, that's certainly something that we're working on. I did have a conversation with one of our staff the other day who had come from another institution where they had an EMR and she did say that one thing she finds that's a positive about the paper charts is that it does bring a lot more community <laughs> because everyone kind of goes you look for the chart and then you, everyone brings the chart and sits down and then we all sit around and write around <laughs> and you have some interesting conversations etc so I never thought of it that way but I guess it's, it's, it's kind of true. Something to consider. Okay, great. Um, and then in terms of kind of what you're actually seeing coming through the door, so you already touched on kind of that you're seeing patients from all over the Maritimes. So maybe you can tell us a little bit more about sort of the catchment area and sort of the diversity in the population that you serve given this sort of broad area that, you know, patients are coming from. Absolutely. So we see patients from um, all regions of Nova Scotia um, in New Brunswick and Prince Edward Island. Um, depending on complexity we also see some patients from Newfoundland and Labrador um, and so yeah so we do see in, in terms of um, clinical presentation some of the more rare forms of disease some more complex forms of disease um, which I think is great we see patients from different socioeconomic statuses um, we see uh, diversity in terms of urban uh, populations but also more rural populations and so I think that always makes things interesting for our program and always thinking about um, the social determinants of health and how we as a tertiary institution can support the patients that are not only in front of us, but also those that haven't made it to us yet. Absolutely. And you sort of already mentioned this, that you're seeing kind of the bread and butter, but you're also seeing some of the more rarer cases. So can you give us a bit of a uh, better idea of kind of what's coming through Emerge, what's being admitted on the floor? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So, um, I mean, right now it's December, so we're seeing a lot of bronchiolitis, <laughs> a lot of asthma, um, a lot of respiratory conditions, which we often expect in high season for pediatrics. Um, but I think right now, too, the obviously the COVID pandemic has changed things in ways that we're still understanding. Um, we're seeing a lot more complex presentations, um, whether it's from, you know, patients taking a longer time to present for certain symptoms or maybe gaps in follow-up care, or primary care. And so um, being on the wards right now, that's something that we are seeing a lot of um, complexities that are, you know, traked or on vents, et cetera. And then we see a lot of sort of really rare genetic diseases. Um, and that has sort of been coming through. I mean, I could go through and name the different syndromes, but for patient confidentiality, probably not a good idea. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, so we see sort of the 
you know, pediatrics that are complex in terms of the different um, equipment that they have around them, but also di the diagnostic dilemmas that involve, you know, multidisciplinary team of trying to understand what exactly is the diagnosis here and what exactly is the best course in terms of management for these patients. Okay, so sort of a nice broad sort of exposure to the acute, the less maybe the still acute, but you know, less complex patients, kind of a broad, um, broad exposure that you get. Perfect. So now that we sort of have a really nice overview, again, you've walked us through how things are done at the institution, at the program, at a day-to-day -day level, we'll sort of take a step away from residency and sort of kind of envision the other aspect of your life and help people who are maybe specifically um, out of province or who haven't been to Halifax before kind of envision a life for themselves kind of outside of residency and what that looks like. So we'll start off with, you know, what do you do in your time off? What are some things that you have access to? Any favorite spots that you'd recommend to incoming R1s? Yeah, so let's see, what are some of the fun things that I do? Um, I've taken up running recently. I've tried to get a run in, you know, every now and then. And I absolutely love to start my day doing a nice run along the Halifax waterfront. Obviously, Halifax is on the East Coast and we have ocean. You're never more than, I think the number is 45 minutes from the ocean anywhere you are in Nova Scotia. And that's always, always exciting. I think we're one of very few residency programs that can boast of that. Um, and so if you love nature, if you love beaches, we've got great beaches. Um, we've got great places to go hiking. We're not too far from Point Pleasant Park, which is a great place where people go for runs or go for hikes. And so um, I think if you're a nature person, definitely Halifax and Nova Scotia in general is the right place for you. I think that, you know, Halifax, having lived here for so long, it's been really interesting to see how it's growing. Um, how vibrant it has become. Um, we've got lots of young professionals here. We've got a great food scene, lots of new restaurants that are popping up, lots of great food. Uh, a lot of my colleagues and friends that are, you know, coming from elsewhere in Canada or actually from abroad as well have just been pleasantly surprised by just the variety of, of food and great food that we have here in Halifax. And so I think definitely the nature, definitely the food and just the vibrancy of, of being in Halifax are some of our biggest selling points. Okay, so a lot of things to keep incoming uh, R1s busy. Um, and then in thinking about sort of just moving to Halifax and Nova Scotia altogether, what's the cost of living that people can expect in the city? You know, that's a great question. And I was um, trying to think of how to sort of quantify it. I think because I don't, I don't have official numbers or anywhere. I guess I could Google, um, but I know there is a good website on the um, programs page on the Can Prep website that talks about cost of living compared to other cities. Um, so I would definitely encourage applicants to look there. But one of the things that I would say is that we do have a very strong um, residency um, contract here at the here at Dalhousie, and. So what it means is that we actually get remunerated quite well. I think we're the highest remunerated residents in the country. And so it actually makes cost of living um, very, very manageable um, for a lot of residents and myself included. Okay, great. So thank you for pointing out that resource that people can look out for as well. 
Um, and then the other sort of aspect of your life outside of residency that people think about is kind of vacation and how that works. So in terms of the Dalhousie program, how does that work in terms of number of weeks that you get and how can you sort of spread them out throughout the year? Absolutely. So we have four weeks of vacation um, officially. And so you can take them whenever you want. I mean, you have to apply for them, but they're almost always approved. Um, so you, you take them however many at a time you want. Sometimes I do a day here, two days there, <laughs> a long weekend here, mix it up with the loo day there, you know. Um, and so that's always nice because you don't have to definitely don't have to take the four weeks at once and you also don't have to take them at a week at a time and you can just mix and match them to meet your needs. We get six days off either Christmas or New Year's um, in addition to the four weeks. And then we also have um, flex days that you can take off. So um, I believe we have four in total. And these are, again, added to the vacation that I've already talked about, where for any reason at all, whether it's personal or because you just need a break, you can just take a day. And then we also have conference time um, that you can always take to um, present your research or attend a conference, etc. So it's actually quite a lot of um, time off that you can take and um, yeah, it's really good. Okay, great. So you've got access to those and sort of flexible as long as you plan ahead um, for when you want them. Okay, perfect. All right. So thank you so much, Henry, for that really nice tour that you've taken us on of kind of what the Dalhousie uh, Pediatrics Program has to offer, kind of how things are done at a day to day, but also um, what life is like in Halifax and sort of Nova Scotia and what people can expect uh, going there. Before we sort of close off, are there any pieces of advice that you'd give medical students who might be specifically interested in the Dalhousie Peds Program? Yes, I think uh, it's definitely interesting time to be applying for residency and unfortunately you know we would have loved to welcome all of you to explore our program either through electives or um, through interviews and and you know actually coming to the IWK coming to Halifax and getting to meet us all um, I would say please contact us if you have questions um, uh, there's contact information again on the um, page on the CanPrep website we're more than happy to talk with you and uh, discuss various aspects of our program beyond what we've discussed today. And I would say one of the great things about doing residency in Canada is that we have phenomenal pediatrics programs all across the board. Um, but, you know, definitely consider Dalhousie. We, again, really prioritize wellness. We have a great size program that gets you good training. Um, you get lots of different variety and you get supported being the best pediatrician that you can be and I think that's really really important so yes we're almost always happy to hear from you guys and uh, please don't hesitate to contact us if you have any questions and also follow us on Instagram <laughs> Perfect. I think that is a great way to end off. So thanks again, Henry, for taking the time to let us get to know you a little bit better. And also the Dalhousie Peds program. It's been great to learn about how your experiences have been so far. Oh, it's been a pleasure. And I hope this has been helpful. Thanks so much, Nardine. And best of luck to all of the applicants. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Canadian Pediatric Society's Meet the Residents podcast. We hope you found it helpful to hear directly from the residents about their experiences. To learn more, check out our other episodes featuring residents from other institutions across Canada.